Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. We're going to 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to read last week's uh, passage just so we have that in mind because we'll recap that for just a minute. Starting in verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How many of you every day, every moment of the day, because it's an expectation to not just be Sunday Christians, but everyday Christians, every minute of every minute Christians, how many of you in your walking have followed all of God's commands in every minute and every moment this week fully? Great. See, you're at home, right? How many of you have got a little bit of it right? Good portion of the week right? Yep. How many of you didn't get a good portion of the week right? And this is who John's talking to. John is, John is talking to all of us. And he's creating a space in this moment for us to know who we are and where we stand, not to condemn us or judge us, but to say God is calling us into something great and into something greater. Then we go to verse seven, which is our passage for today. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command. You got that. Starting in verse eight, yet I am writing you a new command. (laughs) Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is the word of God. And so God, we come into this space and we pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I love looking around when we pray that prayer. And some of you have your eyes closed. That's awesome. Uh, Some of you have them open. That's more fun. (laughs) Because we get to look at each other, right, Steve? And in those moments, we're smiling because this is true. And this is how we've been asked to pray. And we're encouraging one another in that. And that's just fun, isn't it? Um, I want to set the stage for us here just a little bit because I think too often we think that we have to put on... um, We have to put on a mask or we have to guard ourselves because people are cruel, and that's true. But I would say as followers of Jesus, if we don't get more honest with ourselves, then we're never gonna experience the thing God's asked us to experience in him. We just aren't. Because it's along with one another that we actually get to go back to those places of our past and be healed and be changed and be transformed. That's what God is trying to do. So sometimes the things that exist in real life, the everyday stuff, is what it is because we haven't dealt with things in our life. And so we're trying to change them by behavior modification, and God wants to transform us, not through behavior, but through our hearts. 
So we try to white knuckle things or be changed by emotion because that's what I should do. And yet that does not last. What lasts is when God gets a hold of my heart and changes me from the inside out. And I think as we read verses three through six, and we talked about this last week uh, of 1 John, I began to ask myself as I left here this question. Are you ready? Do you even desire to walk as Jesus walked, Dave? Like, do you, do you even want to do that? Are you just okay with complacency and mediocrity and maybe just getting it a little bit right but not a whole lot right in your relationship with God? Or do you want, with everything you have that's in you, even in the dark places, want to walk in the light? And what if we would just ask ourselves that question? If you're new with us, I'm yelling a little bit. I'm excited. I yell when I'm excited. I'm not mad. Though sometimes I get mad. And God's working on me, Right? But what would, what would happen if we began to live consciously about what was going on in our life like we do our golf game? So last week we had this incredible golf analogy, right? Um, <laughs> what kind of? Um, and the idea is that to really enjoy golf, right? And when you think about three, that if you love Jesus, you'll keep his commands, right? And so we sit there and go, well, I'm not keeping his commands, so I must not love him. And it's not a condemnation, it's an invitation, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So look at your life and where you're not keeping my commands. There might be something I'm trying to do in and through you. Wouldn't you want to know? Because I want to make you into the image of my son. And so we get curious about those places. And golf is the analogy, right? To enjoy golf, you ought to be good at golf. To not be good at golf is to not really enjoy golf. Right? And so we talked about that. Someone came up, Matt, in the first service, and he had hit a 75, right? 75 is good, and so I had him come up, and, and he broke down the mechanics of a swing, and it was like all those things that make a swing amazing that a pro would teach you, somebody who knows golf would teach you, and then he swung. You guys didn't get to see that when You can go online and see that, and you're going, wow. That was, a matter of fact, everybody in the room went, ooh, I swung, nobody said a thing, <laughs> but he swung, and it was like, ooh, wow. And afterwards, I said, when you swung the golf club, how much of the mechanics of a swing were you thinking about? He said, zero. It's actually called muscle memory. That when you train versus try harder, but when you train in the things that God has given us through his word that help us live in proximity to Jesus, not just in proximity, but in relationship with him, we do those things, they begin to train our heart and change our heart so that when we go play the game of life, we actually get to enjoy it because we treat people the way he treats us. And where I don't treat people, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, my community, the way that God has treated me, then something is off and broken. And there needs to be a time where you go back to the one who knows how to live the life because we're supposed to walk like he walked. Let me, let me illustrate this a little differently. John, where are you at? You, there you go. I'm glad you stuck around. Thank you. I'm going to make sure this mic works this time. One, two, three. Check, 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 check. Is it on? It's on? I don't know, because I got one on too, so we'll just, we'll just, so it may or may not. So John, the last group of guys I played golf with, John was in that group of guys, right? And we were partners trying to win. So we've played twice. We won the first one by 10 strokes. Something like that. They won the second one by It gets higher every three. time we tell the story. Yeah, so we have a little bit more of the bragging rights in all of this. <laughs> what did you say? It gets higher every time we tell the story. <laughs> It'll be 12 next time we, we... <laughs> Uh, it's funny, and I have a great golf game, by the way. So, 
So these guys, so I'm up there and I've told you, I've got an amazing slice. I've learned to work my slice, right? I've just learned to make it work for me. So if, if the fairway's straight, then I aim way over here when I hit it, because that sucker's going to just go out right over there and it's going to land beautifully out on the fairway. I've learned, unless there's blunt, like a line of trees and then what happens? It ends up in the trees. It doesn't come back. <laughs> so, so these guys are golfing with, and I playing golf with me. You don't go golfing, you go camping, canoeing, and fishing. You don't go golfing, you play golf, right? We're pl- I didn't ask at all for your help, correct? No, in fact, what you did was after hitting eight tee shots into the woods, you just suggested that next round we play at an easier course with less woods. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here's the deal. <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, so... So why do you think, why do you think, like, what would you deduce? And we, we maybe talked about this a little. Why didn't I go to you guys or let you guys help me fix my swing? Because I was playing just as bad. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we like to play with people who are just as bad as we are? <laughs> there is a, there's an illustration right there as well. Thanks, John. Can we give John a really big hand for sticking around and hanging? Here's, here's the thing, and somebody told me this after first service last week. They said, if you walk up to a golf ball and you make every decision based on the ball, it's going to go straight. But the moment you begin to make the decisions based on you, it's going to slice. It's going to hook. You put you in it instead of what the ball needs to go straight. way I learned to find out what the ball needs to go straight is I go talk to somebody who plays as bad as I do. No, I go find somebody who's really good at the game like... Matt and say, hey, can you help me with my swing so that I can enjoy golf? The whole point of what John was trying to say in three through six is, listen, if you want to learn to walk like Jesus walk, then go talk to the one who walked like Jesus, Jesus. Go spend time with Jesus because the more time you spend with Jesus is you will walk like Jesus walked. So when you're living your life and you treat your spouse or your neighbor or someone like they shouldn't be treated, meaning different than the way Jesus has treated you, then something in you is broke. When you respond to that car that cuts you off different than God bless you, then something is wrong in you. When you get mad that your coffee isn't fixed the way you want it to be fixed and you treat somebody less than you because of coffee, you might need to go back to the one who walks like he walks and say, how can I walk like he walks? Something in me needs to be tended to. What I try to do is just change the direction and try to fix it on my own. That is not what God is calling us to. He is saying, you can't fix it, but I can. Okay, so that's catching you up, right? You feel caught up? Oh boy, that took a long time to catch you up. Sorry. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus is way more interested in why his followers do what they do than how. It's not about the how. The how should be muscle memory based on the why. I don't need heaven. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need a good conscience. I just need Jesus. Those things come as a result, but I want Jesus. Why? Because I want to walk as he walked. Because I'm his child. Because I'm with him. And so when something is off here, I got to go back here. I have to train, not try. This is what John is trying to say. If you love him, you'll do what he said. And if you don't do what he said, you're a liar. Meaning you don't want to be a liar. Don't be a liar. And so we go, I don't want to be a liar. 
So God, help me not be a liar with my life because there are parts of my life where I get it right, but there are still parts as a pastor that I get it wrong. Isn't that good? That I could admit that. And we can create a space here knowing that all of us are messy. And if you walk with a limp, then welcome to this church. Because this is a church where a bunch of people walk with limps. We don't try to hide it because everyone has one. We're done with the Disney at the ground level. We're ready to go into the mess. Okay. So we ask, what are you holding on to? Because if it's not Jesus, it'll change the way you enjoy life and play the game. So this week we're in 1 John 2, 7 through 11. uh, And you're going to need a quarter. Does anybody have a quarter? You got it coming in the door, right? How many of you didn't realize you were paid to come to church today? (laughs) It's good stuff, isn't it? If you don't have a quarter, raise your hand because we have more quarters. Here's a couple up here that don't have quarters, some here. You're not going to, you want to have a quarter in your hand, so don't miss the moment to get a quarter. Some of you just became 25 cents richer and that's a big deal. (laughs) Keep your hand up. We got more over here. We're going to get you. I have a, I have a silver dollar. Anybody remember these babies? Yeah. Yeah. I just needed to get a little bit of a bigger one than a quarter so that you could see it. But make sure everybody has one of these, okay? Right up here in the front. Need some? All Angela back here in the back. Just start throwing them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All the way in the back. Okay, good. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, yes? What? I don't know. I don't remember what I just shared. It's one of those moments. I'll keep rolling though, but thank you. That was, we'll just say it was, it was for those who heard it. Put this, put this baby in your hand, okay? And then I want you to put your hand out in front of you like this. Your fist is closed. I want you to put your hand out in front of you like this. I want you to open it up, okay? Don't change it. Don't manipulate it. Just leave it right there. How many of you, it's heads? Raise your hands. How many of you have heads? You turned it over and it's heads. Okay? Put your hands out. How many of you turned it over and you have tails? Sweet. It's about 50 50, kind of. How many of you have both? No. No. Because you don't have both. You can't have both in this scenario. You just got one or the other, right? And you can do that. Now you got the other, but you don't have the other. Are you, are, you, are you tracking with me? I want you to keep this quarter close. If you've got to hang on to it, hang on to it. But this is going to transform the way you think about quarters for the rest of your life. I promise you. How many of you are visual learners? Here we go. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you had heard and rec- which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command in truth. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone then who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now I need you to understand something. As you hear that, you need to know that because of Jesus, we can be drawn from every dark part of our lives. We can be resurrected from every dark place. So just because part of our life or things in our lives may be in the darkness, maybe by the way we treat others or live, God can bring hope and healing into your life. He can pull you out of that darkness so you don't have to stay there. So that's life-giving, important to hear. So there's a direct link between last week's text and today's text, and I want to share it with you. Last week, in, second, in John chapter 2, verse 4, John said, He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We need to sit in that, not in condemnation or judgment, but in a challenge that God wants to bring us from death to life. 
Because this week in chapter two, verse nine, John says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness still. He who loves his brother abides in the light. In other words, last week, John spoke of obedience to the commandments in general as the way that we test ourselves. Obedience to the commandment as a way that I test myself. Simply, simply meaning when I look at my life and I know the word of God and I see disobedience, I can say here is an area of my life yet to be surrendered. Here is an area of my life that God wants to get a hold of. Here is an area of my life that needs healing. Here is an area of my life that needs attention. And so I go back to those places where we talked about training happens in the word of God, in community, in solitude, in silence, in memorization, in all those places where God wants to remind us who he says we are. Right? Bring healing to those places of our lives. I'll share a little bit more on that. And so that's the one. But this week, he speaks of obedience to the love commandment in particular is the way we... So one week, he's saying, the way you test yourself is, are you obedient? Not because you're trying to earn God, right? But because you have God, and because you have God, you want to obey God. And so are you doing that? And by the way, here's another way to do that. Are you very loving? And when we say loving, do you love like Jesus loves you? How, do you, how does Jesus love you? Give me some unconditional somebody's phone what sacrificially merciful relentless regular consistent without judgment fully no matter your choices meaning your, your his love for you is not based on your performance so it's a scared job, sorry. But that one every time, because my performance, and when we focus on our performance and try to change it based on our performance, my performance is not always great. And so because he loves me not based on my poor performance, but how many of us do we love others based on their performance? Or not love them based on their performance, or treat them differently based on their performance. When he says to love, and this is a commandment, is am I loving the people in my life the way Jesus loved me? That's the, that's the, the ticket for love. So today's text falls into two parts. In the first part, verses seven and eight, tells us what specific commandment John thinks we should use in testing the reality of our salvation or new birth. And in the second half, nine, 10, and 11, describes the way that test would be carried out in two different cases. First case, verses nine and 11, amounts to a warning. Professing Christians who hate or who hate are doomed in the dark. Meaning there is a reason you hate is because something is still in the dark and it's coming from that place. The second case, verse 10, amounts to a promise. People who love live in the light. That is, they're truly born again. Meaning when I love people the way Jesus loves them, not letting the world define what that is, when I love them the way Jesus loved me, I can go, man, God is at work. And I can celebrate that on a Sunday morning when I'm singing about him. Are you tracking with me? So the overall point of the passage, verses 7 and 11, is that we should keep the commandment of love and confirm our standing in the light of God. Now, I'm taking you on a little bit of a journey through what this scripture and text is trying to tell us and a little bit of background, but then we're going to apply it. That's where it's going to get a little tricky and we're going to want to feel condemned and judged and all of those things. We're not going to do that, right? Because we're saying hello to peace and joy. And, and all of those things. John's burden is still the same in chapter two, verse three. By this, we may know, or we may be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments. He wants to give assurance to the obedient who should have it and take away from the disobedient who shouldn't have it. Now, that's hard 
because I don't want to fix my slice. Because that's painful to fix my slice. Because I have to stop doing what I'm currently doing, identify what I'm doing that isn't right, and work with God in training to change it. And that's not always easy, right? And so when we see disobedient places, we want to ignore them and just hang on to the obedient places. But John is trying to say, oh, no, 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 go after those because those are the things that will take you out. Get curious about those, if you will. So in verses 7 through 11, he lays down the love commandment as a specific test of obedience. And the test is virtually the same as chapter 3, verse 14, if you read ahead. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Love is the living evidence of new birth and eternal life. Love is the way we love. Now, what we should do is we stand before a portion of God's word like this is make every effort to think God's thoughts, not our thoughts. God's intentions, not the world's intentions. That lens that Alex was describing of how we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if we can make progress in thinking about reality the way God does, then our will and our desires will not be conformed to the world, but to God's. That's the lens. And we will love what he loves and do what he does. And our light will so shine before men that they will see our good deeds and glorify you. No, our Father. It's an opportunity because our identity is right to say, this is what God is doing. Man, there's something different about you. It's Jesus. A few things to understand here before we apply this. The new and old commandment he's talking about, and by the way, did you notice he talks about, he said, I'm not giving you a new command, but I'm giving you a new command. Anybody get confused in that moment, right? Let me explain this so you have a little bit more of an understanding. The new and old command he's talking about is love one another as I have loved you. This is what he's talking about. To love one another as I have loved you, so love each other. This is what he's talking about. The fact that John begins to talk about love and hate in verses 9 through 11 suggests that the commandment in view in verses 7 and 8 is the love commandment from John 13, 34, where Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you would love one another even as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. Love one another the way I feel like loving one another, love one another the way um, other people love me, love the one another based on the five love languages, because that's how I love and experience love. No, he is defining it, love as I have loved you. That's why we listed all the ways in which he has loved us. Stay with me. It's the old commandment because from the beginning, meaning your relationship with Jesus, when you understood the gospel, it was a call to be loved and to love. Not just get to heaven and get forgiveness and have a good conscience. No, when you woke up to the fact that Jesus loved you and had a plan for your life and wanted to walk with you in this life, when that happened, you understood that there was a love for you unlike anything in this world and you received it. To the degree that you have received it, the gospel tells you to give it. It's why Abraham was said, you will be blessed to what? Keep it? No, be a blessing. I need to receive the love of God to every dark place in my life so that I can be the one who gives it away to the world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Why do I want to work on my slice? Because I don't want anybody to see it. I want them to see Jesus and glorify him. Are you, are you, are you following what John is saying here to us and the implications of this? 
It's the beginning. So how does Jesus love? We process that. And the reason the commandment is of love is called new, and I want you to get this in verse 8, is that it is a commandment to be the new light of the world. And when John says that the light which has was hoped for in the distant future of the kingdom of God is already shining, he means that it is new. Meaning when Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and says everything you've been looking for is here, the kingdom of God is right here, the light began to shine the light of love in this world, the way in which we get to love. This is why it's new. Now catch this because this is huge. It came first in Jesus and now John commands that it comes in the life of every believer because Jesus said in chapter five of Matthew to be a city on a hill. Showing what? The love of Jesus. Why? Because you've experienced it. If anybody's sleeping next to you, give them an elbow. I see a couple. Applying the test of love to our lives. And here it comes. You ready for it? We're going to go quick. Verses 9 and 11. Applying the test of love, of the love commandment in two cases. A person who loves and a person who hates. How many of you have moments where you love others well? Raise your hand. How many of you have moments where you hate others? Okay, we're, re- we're really, really, really slow on that one because we don't actually hate. But if we don't actually step into a place of love, then we actually hate. Okay? And, and, and that's strong, but, but that's important for us to get. I, I believe it was Teller from Penn and Teller when, when he was talking about, about Christians sharing their faith. He said, if you truly believe everything you say you believe about Jesus, life and death and resurrection and heaven and hell, and you don't tell us with every bit of passion you have, you must hate us. That's what this is describing here in this moment. So John doesn't seem to recognize any middle ground here. And like Jesus in Mark 4, 4, he comes into the synagogue, picture this, stands by the man with the withered hand and says to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to kill it? He's not giving them any middle ground chance here. We need middle ground. We're like, ah, disobedience, obedience. You know what I'm saying. Love and hate. How about complacent? I don't mess with anybody. They don't mess with me. Right? So he offers the Pharisees no place to stand between saving and killing. And if you don't want to save, then you're in the class with killers. And John would say, if you don't want to love, then you are in the class with haters. And the application of the test of love in chapter 2, 9 through 11 is basically the same as the application of the test of walking in light in 1 John chapter 1, 6 through 7. And the application of the test of obeying God's commandment in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 where he calls us a liar. Hate is the evidence of blindness to the light of God. Love is the evidence that sight has been given to the blind. And this is the miracle of salvation, church. This is the miracle of new birth. This is the true light that is already shining. This is the fountain of love in every one of us, bubbling up. And to the degree that it's not bubbling up, something has blocked it. And would you be willing to be conscious enough to go after it? Like we do when our marriages are failing. Like we do when our job is in trouble. Like we do when we want to succeed at something. Like when we want to raise great kids. We will do everything in our power to be great. What about here? Would we be willing to say, where is is that fountain of love in my life blocked? And how might God want to dive in? And John is saying, hey, this is what I'm talking about. I I I want you to go after that. (laughs) Jesus. 
You cannot talk about love though, and I want you to, to process this with me. What is, what is this light that we're talking about, this walking in the light? This light is Jesus. He is the city on a hill. Are you with me? This light is Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's where we're gonna bring this home. We're gonna apply this. The quarter's about ready to come back out, okay? He is the way because he is the truth. And when you get truth, you get life because it is lies and the enemy of our soul is the father of lies. It's his native language. It is lies that seeks to destroy us and keep us back. But truth sets us free. This is about truth. Now listen to me. You cannot talk about love without talking about truth. Tim Keller wrote this in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. And so the principle is universal. There is a need for love and truth in every relationship. You actually can't love without truth, and you can't share truth without love. It negates the principle of the kingdom. To walk in the light is to walk in love and truth because the light is love and truth. It's two sides of the same coin. You can't have, you can't have one without the other. And yet we live in a church culture where we're fine just being loving people, but we've forgotten truth. Well, we're fine being truthful for people, but we forgot to love. And the reason that is is because that's the natural human instinct. Why? Because it's supernatural power that gets a hold of us and causes us to experience both. Hang on. <laughs> See that movement for a 52-year-old? Yeah, both. It's one. Do you see the trouble? It's both. It's one. Why? Because in our own strength, we can't keep it going. We will only, only experience and give truth and love supernaturally. Because we've experienced it. Now, some of you are like, well, we can go home. That was good. While most Christians would give that principle their full agreement, and I think we would, putting it into practice proves way more difficult. In fact, it is impossible apart from the grace of God. Because by nature, everyone leans towards one side or the other of truth and love coin, and we don't even get the truth and love part right. To hold them in consistent balance requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is especially so during a cultural moment when the Christian faith is met with growing opposition in our world today particularly as it confronts prevailing beliefs surrounding sexuality, marriage, gender, racial justice, life, immigration, the lost, the least, the last justice. And in this atmosphere, people of faith too often default to one of the polar extremes. One, downplaying unpopular teachings of scripture to avoid offense, love without truth. Two, doubling down on our convictions with little regard for the feelings of others, truth without love. But at all times, followers of Jesus are called to be faithful, compassionate ambassadors of Jesus our Lord who is full of grace and truth to broken humanity. It makes, means we're in trouble. Christianity used to enjoy a unique position of respect and influence in Western culture. Used to. 
This was evident in every avenue of culture, from education to public ethics, from legislation to the arts, and it's pretty safe to say that that is no longer true. And by the way, that doesn't make our current ineffectiveness right. The world needs the church because the world needs Jesus. And so this shift in status has led to two opposite and equally wrong reactions. One, on the one side, are those who've sought to regain the respect of the culture by agreeing with its judgments and distancing themselves from classic orthodox Christian belief. 2,000 years of theology that has stood the test of time. Somewhere we got more intelligent than the Holy Spirit and decided the interpretation was wrong. 2,000 years later, just because there's a smartphone doesn't mean we're smarter today. We could probably build a case that we're dumber. That's one side. But equally, the other side, on the other, are those who've become bitter, adopting a siege mentality and longing for the good old days of cultural superiority. Both positions neglect one vital truth. While God at times grants favor to his church in the eyes of the surrounding culture, it's not his usual practice, neither now or the past. Let's be clear, prosperity can be more hazardous than persecution to the spiritual health of the church. And we are living in it. And we are numb more often than not, coasting through this life because of what we have instead of who we have. It can produce a complacent cultural Christianity in which everyone assumes they're Christian by default despite the lack of genuine living faith in Jesus. And that's what John is trying to wake us up from. You're asleep in your disobedience and you think you're his, but you're not. And he wants you to be. So where are you not his? Get alone with him and let him transform you from the inside out. The loss of cultural status is never easy to accept, but it is good in that it creates humility and it kills pride and self-righteousness in his church. Christians are right to thank God for the freedoms that we've enjoyed and so happy 4th of July and continue to enjoy, as well as work to remain, to maintain them for the sake of the gospel. Guys, listen, there's, there's times in this country I haven't liked what's happening, but this is my country. This is where God has placed me, and there's freedom that I celebrate today because men and women have sacrificed for it. May we never be so arrogant to assume that just because we don't like something, we should kill something. At the same time, the changing cultural landscape is an opportunity to remain faithful in presenting Jesus to the world in a gracious and winsome fashion. There was a day in the early church when Jesus was irresistible. He's still irresistible. We've just made him by our own examples resistible. And I'm not saying that to condemn. I'm speaking to myself. I'm done trying to love a God I don't follow his commands. I want to give everything to him and therefore everything I want to be conscious about. And so I surround myself with the Holy Spirit, God's word, and his people to figure those spaces out. And would to God we'd be honest enough with each other and truthful enough to see one another's life and speak the word of God into it. That the power of the Holy Spirit would confirm it. You don't need to just be loved, you need truth. And you don't just need truth, you need love. 
What we believe about Jesus will shape what we believe about everything else. In progressive circles, Jesus comes across as something of laid back life coach whose message could be summed up as be kind and don't judge. And all that talk about sin and judgment and atoning sacrifice must have been added later, they assume, by patriarchal religious types trying to twist Jesus' words. And this has led to a belief system in which the only thing that matters is love, defined as uncritical acceptance of every belief and lifestyle choice. That's love without truth. But by contrast, some conservative traditions leave an impression of Jesus as a stern taskmaster more than a gracious savior, a second Moses rather than a second Adam, threatening judgment against those who don't follow the rules. They're quick to point out that Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And this too has led to a belief system in which the chief activity in the Christian life is to root out sin in others. <laughs> root out sin in yourself. Let the Holy Spirit do that. But we take offense at it and pass judgment on it. That's truth without love. They're both distortions, exaggerating one aspect of Jesus' character at the expense of another. Contrary to both the scriptures, offer a well-rounded portrait of Jesus as the divine son of God, able to control the weather, raise the dead, and read the thoughts of those around him. He has all power in heaven and on earth and will return at the end of time to judge the world and everyone in it. Hell is real. Heaven is real. God is who he says he is. Be in the light, not in the darkness. That's reality. And yet he is also supremely loving, gentle, kind, eagerly receiving everyone who comes to him. In fact, searching them out and drawing them to himself. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Even so, he doesn't leave them in their sin, but calls them to this new life of holiness and obedience and following him. That's the call to us. We should want that for ourselves because it's the best life. And if Jesus was only this and nothing more, a perfect example of truth and love working together, he would only serve to remind us how far short we fall from this divine ideal. And yet that's not who he is, is it? He is far more than that. He has become, or he has bore the guilt of our innumerable failures to be truthful and loving and has credited his own perfections to our account. We get the life of Jesus given to us. And so I can be truth and grace to others because he's given truth and grace to me. Gosh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Peter comes and says, you're the son of the living God. And he says, oh, you are rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And then he says, you're not gonna die. And he says, you are Satan. And by the way, if you wanna follow me, Peter, you better deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That is truth and love. And that's what we need. We have to receive it and we need to be willing to give it. I'm wrapping up. I'm on my last page. Yeah, I really am. It's only because of this gospel exchange that we can be inspired and energized to reflect Jesus' own truth and love to others. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that it's both sides of the same coin. Thank you, Jesus, that in my own strength, I will only live in one and probably a counterfeit version of it. But with you, boy, both of those can be a, an influence to my life and to others. Because you are truth and you are love. And so we need God to spin our coin. There's an often quoted, uh, Tim Keller observed this, unless we preach Jesus rather than a set of morals of the story or timeless principles or good advice, people will never truly understand love or obey the word of God. There's a quoted ancient Chinese curse, which turns out to be neither Chinese nor ancient. <laughs> but a curse. <laughs> <laughs> 
nonetheless. May you live in interesting times. The idea is that peace and stability are uneventful, whereas interesting times involve upheaval and uncertainty. From a human standpoint, it may indeed appear that we're living in such interesting times. But in reality, that's true of every time and every culture. Even the specific problems and challenges may vary. Go back to 1968 and it looks a lot like today. And from the perspective of divine sovereignty that God is in control of all things, all times can be viewed as interesting in a positive sense, can it? Each of them offers a variety of opportunities for God's people to share his truth and love with a broken world. An opportunity to be spun by God so that people see all of our life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And all of them fit together in a mosaic of history that will ultimately display God's goodness, wisdom, and glory. Did you pass the test? The test we just took? Where does love show up and where doesn't it? And not worldly love, but Jesus' love. And what does that mean about what you understand about God and love and others? And can you not sit in the guilt and shame and condemnation, but can you step into the presence of God and let him transform you? Is your love bathed in truth? And is your truth bathed in love? I'll read Keller's quote again to you one more time so that we have it in our hearts and our heads. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. You say, I don't hate. Yeah, but you don't love either. We don't love either. And so I'm done trying. I want to train. Not just in proximity, but in friendship with Jesus and his word and his people and the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, when I spend time with the one who looks most like Jesus, Jesus himself, I'll begin to act like he acts and do what he does. And I'll receive that love. And that might be a journey back to some painful places. But if that painful place gets you to find Jesus where you didn't think Jesus was, you should go there. It'll be beautiful. We're a church that will help you go there. If you're sitting in that place, just ask anybody at Community Corner. We'll help you get in community where they'll hold space for you to get to those places. That's what we're about around here. Rather have you in community than here on a Sunday. Real community, not kumbaya groups. Community. Stand with me. May, may you know the love of Jesus in every dark place of your life where he's yet to be invited. Maybe because you know or don't know that he needs to be. May you know that kind of love so that you can give it back. And may you know the truth that sets you free. Because that's a truth you don't want to run from. Because to run from a truth that sets you free is to run to something that binds you. And may you be so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that your coin spins because you've been in proximity and relationship with Jesus. And it spins not in your strength, but in his strength so that when people see it, they glorify your Father in heaven, not you. And more people will come to Jesus, I believe, because we'll be living the way Jesus lived. 
May that be who we are, a coin-spinning people. You get to keep it. You can put it in your pocket. You can think about this every time you see a coin. You cannot use it in a payphone anymore. <laughs> but you're 25 cents richer. And with truth, way richer than we know. And with love, ready to change the world. Love you all. Have a great week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.